Chapter 6, Types and Aspects, Supplications. The Greek word confess here comes from the Greek word examalagestha, the present imperative, middle second person plural, meaning you all keep on confessing out or openly confess for yourselves. This context and its grammar reveals many things. First, mainly, it is an imperative. It is a command. It is a command in the present tense in the Greek language. Now, not to get too deep about this, but there is a difference between commands that are present tense and there are commands that are aorist tense in Greek. The present tense in the Greek language does not really speak of the time period per se, but its emphasis is upon the continual doing. And like in all commands in any language, when you command someone, there is a time element to when the command is given and to when people respond by volition to the command. And that's the normal way it would be. In the Greek language, when you state a command in the present tense, you are stating a command that is to be here forward kept on doing if under those circumstances it meant to be done as a condition. And that would be, and I guess to some extent, a little confusing to us in the English language. But the emphasis is on a continual responding to the command. I think this might be a little confusing for us in the English language. But think about it as a command, as a linear or a line going forth from the time that it was commanded forward into time. And the command then means anytime these conditions are happening, you then react or act upon it then. And it implies whenever we progressively, or there could be a certain happening where it needs to be confessed out to your brother or your sister, then confess it out then. And if there's another time, then the next time then, and the next time then. Thus the term keep on confessing would be the most literal way to translate a command in the present tense. Again, the present tense in Greek does not mean time. It's the kind of command it's speaking about. It is the same Greek word used in Matthew 3, 6, where the people were coming to John and they were publicly confessing out their sins in the Jordan River. And also in Acts 19, 18, where the new believers were publicly confessing out and denouncing their evil books, which they had used before to receive the forgiveness of sins and the clearing of our consciences the clearing of our consciences, it would require God to do something, something he alone can only do. Remember 1 John 9? And we're talking about this reliance factor because you cannot forgive yourself in the sense, I forgive myself. God is the one who has to forgive our actions because we know when we do wrong. So when we confess out our sins, then God is responsible to cleanse us and to make us at peace again. Notice here in 1 John 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here we see we confess our sins. He is reference to God. He, God, is faithful, and he, God, is righteous. If this context says he is faithful and just, then the same person is who is forgiving us and cleansing us. There is a real forgiving, a real cleansing which would also mean that we would be confessing to the same person, which of course is God. But in James 5.16, the confessing out of our sins is to one another. Why would God tell us to do so? Is he not the one who is the faithful one to forgive and cleanse? Why would he tell us to confess out to one another? It is because in these situations, there would be a sin which someone has done against someone else, which would need to be made known to the other person involved. 
This prayer in James 5.16 for forgiveness is a supplication. Without God, of course, forgiving, you're not going to be forgiven. And without God cleansing us, you're not going to have a cleansed conscience. In the Old Testament, it was the prayer of supplication which was being prayed to God for his mercy to forgive Israel most of the time. And since this epistle was written to the Jewish Christians, they would be very familiar with this thought of supplications for forgiveness. Note James, James 1, to the 12 tribes. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad, greetings. You see, the James and his epistle, which was written, was written to Jewish Christians. And they very obviously would be familiar with these verses, not as compared to Gentile Christians, which are not that familiar with the Old Testament. If we can, we're going to look at supplications in the Old Testament. Notice here in Jeremiah 36, 1 through 3 and verse 7. And it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that this word came unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take thee a roll of a book, and write therein all the words that I have spoken unto you against Israel, and against Judah, and against the nations, from the days of Josiah, even unto this day. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the evil which I purpose to do to them, that they may return every man from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Now, Lotus the seventh verse. It may be that they may present their supplication before the Lord and will return everyone from his evil way, for great is the anger and the fury of the Lord has pronounced against his people. Again here, if you were to go back in the Old Testament in this seventh verse and you were to look at this Hebrew word for supplication, which is the very normal Hebrew word, tekinah, and it is the word, and literally would translate it supplication for graciousness or favor. And if you were to look at this in the uh, Greek text of the Septuagint, you would see deasis standing there. And you could look at another one in 1 Kings 8 in the 28th verse in the Septuagint, you would see deasin taking the place of tekinah, the word for supplication in the Hebrew language. There are many views in this general epistle of the New Testament book called James because of the Jewish influence. Looking at these verses in Jeremiah, we can clearly see if Israel and Judah would turn towards God and offer their supplication or their prayer for gracious favor, he would be merciful and forgive them. All supplications are not for forgiveness, but there is definitely a reliance factor upon God in the prayer of forgiveness because only God can forgive and only God can cleanse your conscience in this act of forgiveness. And in the Old Testament time period, Christ had not redeemed the sinner. So you can see the reliance aspect upon God and the need for a supplication more clearly. This verse in James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer, literally the fervent supplication of a righteous man, avails much. This supplication statement in, in the reference to the rest of the verse where God is telling those who have sinned against each other to confess out what they did to one another and then pray a supplication for forgiveness. Notice this 16th verse and it literally says it this way. You all keep on confessing out to one another the sins and you all pray on behalf of one another that you all might be healed or literally healed or restored. The righteous Christian which pleads to God a supplication for his aid from this verse can of surety know that this supplication which he prayed is producing much strength. Where there was before a spiritual weakness because of guilt, 
now after being forgiven, now exists within this person a spiritual wholeness because of the strength of God's response or his response to your plea. God then in this verse is talking about forgiving through the means of a supplication. This verse is not literally speaking about divine healing, although this word can be used for divine healing literally. He's not talking about divine healing of our bodies here, but the figurative use and application is used like in Matthew 13:15. Notice Matthew 13:15. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. I remind you that Greek words are translated by the context. The Greek word itself does not make the context translated, although the influence of the word is there, but in the context, the context translates the Greek word. We can see here the word above, converted, is translated from the Greek word epistrepsosin. Epistrepsosin is a Greek word, and it is the aorist act subjunctive, third person plural, the Greek word epistrepho, meaning to turn to or turn upon. The grammatical meaning in this context of this word used here would be they might turn towards, because it is subjunctive mood. And then the next statement says, and I should or will heal them. See, literally, he's not talking about physical healing here. He's using the word in the, in the figurative sense, where I will restore them. Notice, if the children of Israel would turn toward God, it says he would heal them, or literally restore them. If we look closer at this word, we would see the Greek word again, eosomai, which is future indicative middle, and it's the first person. And this word again comes from eomai, meaning here in this context of the future tense, I will or shall heal or restore him. This Greek word heal has a literal and a figurative sense to it. Literally, eomai can be used in a figurative or a metaphorical sense to describe the counteracting or changing of something. It would be translated make whole or restore. And the Greek words do not translate the context. The context of the Greek words in order and of the grammar translates the word in light of the context. The context translates the Greek words, you might say. So here in Matthew 13, 15, the context is clear and we should understand it to mean restore or make whole. Why? If the children of Israel would turn to God he would make them whole, or he would restore them back to himself. Looking at something, generally speaking, is different than looking at something, specifically speaking. You can see that in the new birth, when we get born again from God, he is making us whole from sin, generally speaking. And also, we could figuratively say, figuratively speaking, we don't get healed from sin in our spirit, we get restored. In other words, there was a sinner and a sin nature, now after being restored, there is none. And we are made whole and restored to a right relationship with him. Of course, specifically speaking, you do not get healed when you get saved. You are a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us in many other places. Please do not misunderstand me about this verse. I believe in divine healing for our physical bodies, and this translation in no way refutes divine healing. Healing in redemption is 
a forever established fact. But in light of this context, confessing out of our faults or sins to those which we have wronged, and then supplicating to God to forgive and cleanse our consciences, would not constitute divine healing specifically for our physical bodies. I'm sure, generally speaking, that there could be some other situation, though, where your sin is stopping your healing from coming. Healing for our physical bodies in this 16th verse is not the main point, though of this verse, but the confessing out to one another of our sins or transgressions and the supplication to God to have us forgiven and make us whole is the sense here. When your conscience is not pure in you, in a sense, you're not whole until it is cleansed. Thus, it's very important for the confession of sins to God for his forgiveness and his cleansing power. Most of the time, the prayer of faith would take and would be used for divine healing, and a supplication would be used for forgiveness or the cleansing of our weak consciences, which has lost its sense of righteousness due to sin. Only God showing mercy, though, can cleanse away the guilt from our lives through a supplication. And you definitely can see the reliance factor on God doing that. But right on the other hand, in certain circumstances, God could be supplicated for someone's healing. If faith could not be released by that person, oh, how great it is for God and for him to provide for his children in this manner. Keep in mind, the prayer of faith is released once in your asking. If you look, you're going to see there is a difference, and not many times. That is to say, on one subject, if I had a foot that needed to be healed, but I keep asking him, then by the very nature of the prayer of faith to believe you received something, you don't believe you received it, and thus the prayer of faith can only really be prayed once on one subject matter. If you had a sick hand, that is to say, if you had a sick hand, you could not ask many times. You could release your faith in the asking for your sick hand to be healed one time. But the supplication can be prayed because it is a progressive type of prayer. And asking over and over again in this asking would not be in unbelief because God shows you. Paul said, I continually prayed and supplicated. Please try and see this point. You cannot keep releasing your asking to be healed in the prayer of faith. The point of release in the fact, I believe I have received healing in my hand. If you did receive at that point, your asking has to stop and your thanking God has to start because you spiritually believe you received it. Then you would switch your to your thanking and thanking God that you have received because you believed you received it till it naturally or manifests naturally in your body. But in this switching to thanking, your prayer of faith does not continue to be asked to be healed or to have healing because your faith, it did have it when you released your faith in your heart. You believed, you received it, and it is heart faith. And it doesn't mean that it's manifested in your body, but you believe you received it, and then the manifestation is forthcoming. But the believe reception of it is in your spirit, in your heart. I'm not trying to really teach on faith here, but to show the difference between how the prayer of faith and faith in the prayer of faith looks compared to acting in faith from the standpoint of supplications. There are really good books out there written by several people, especially the book that are written by Kenneth e. Hagin on faith.